0: today.
1: Thank <laughs> you.
2: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Wednesday, August the 1st, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time over at our friends, MetsamoriteOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's Doing well. Uh, I'm going to give this call-and-show, trade deadline call-and-show, a try. I don't know what to expect because I don't know if you guys are really happy. Trade deadline, probably not exactly what you expected what was going to be when the season started. I think most of you, including myself, felt the Mets would be in some kind of contention and they'd be looking to add. That's always a more fun situation, like a couple of years ago when they added Jay Bruce. Instead, it looks like uh, not only are the Mets not adding, they really didn't trade anybody, and I think the deal, now the Cabrera deal I think most fans were happy with, but I think that the deal for um, for Familia is the one that bothers a lot of individuals. So anyway, uh, I'm going to try this for an hour. I don't know again what to expect on a Wednesday night at 8.30. I don't know if you guys are tired. We've done them very successfully on a Sunday and I took a leap of faith to try it again. The number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven 646-716-8187. Again, 646-716-8187. Love to hear from you. If not, you basically have me until I feel like it's time has run out giving you my opinions on the Mets. I've done those before. We'll continue to do it. I tweeted it out at Mike Silva Media. There is some stuff in the comments section which I'll address and take a look at. So a lot to do. So even if... We get a shy day where, you know, you guys are not is into calling in, um, you know, so be it, you know, have that. So where do I start? Uh, Winners and losers. That's where I start with because what drives me crazy, whether it be the trade deadline, whether it be the winter meetings, whether it be any kind of, you know, point in the baseball season where there's supposedly trades and whatnot, that are going to come into play. The media likes to do winners and losers. And you know what? That's that's their job. Their job on the MLB Network Radio with Steve Phillips, their job on uh, electronic media blogs. Oh, these are the winners of the. You know, the, the Marlins win the winner meetings many, many years ago when they were in on Pujols and Jeffrey Loria was pulling his scam, signing Jose Reyes and. You know all the stuff that was going on, and we're going to be a contender. The Marlins, they they got a new stadium. They're the winners of the trade deadline. Then there was another off season where it was the Padres are the winner at the tri- at the winter meetings, right? And then there's winners and losers. And and I look at this and I say, you know, what does it really mean to be a winner or a loser? Because at the end of the day, there's no banner. Uh, it's an opinion, just like this show is an opinion. And uh, you know, I. Uh, You know, I I just don't think there's really much to it, to tell you the truth. The reason why I don't call the Mets losers at this deadline is because I really think that the media, and I think a lot of even fans, have this notion that you trade this starting pitching and you're going to get back a ton of prospects and you're going to do this quick rebuild. And, you know, you all want to be the Phillies or the Braves now. Uh, We'll see how that works out. And, you know, that's what you guys wanted. I think a lot of you guys wanted that. and. That didn't happen. So immediately the Mets are losers. And and maybe even if they traded Zach Wheeler, I guess that would have been maybe considered a quote unquote win. But I look at it this way, and and more importantly, I look at the Chris Archer trade. So if Chris Archer is the benchmark, Chris Archer is a guy that is a career you know slightly above league average pitcher, uh, ERA uh, for his career of 3.69. You know he's got a losing record. Uh, Probably a lot of that had to do Tampa has not been a great team over the last few years. He lost actually 19 games in 2016. And as we're learning with Jacob deGroms, and I've always been against this, but the more you look at it, wins and losses for a pitcher, especially in this era of bullpens, is becoming more and more of a difficult thing to judge a pitcher on. We're not going to get into that. But if Chris Archer, who arguably is probably somewhere in between Zach Wheeler And Noah Syndergaard as a pitcher, pointing more towards Wheeler than Syndergaard. But you could make the argument, depending on if you want to put Syndergaard's injury history into play, and you know, I don't know, whatever you want to talk about in terms of what your belief is, what Chris Archer is. I don't think the the Rays would would you know control, mind you. You know, here's a guy who has control. You're going to have them for 2019, 2020, 2021. I don't think they did a hell of a great job, to tell you the truth. Maybe you guys disagree. I think Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows, I'm not saying they're bad prospects. glasgow has got a good arm. His walk rate is atrocious. He's been essentially a few cups of coffee three years. Here's what I would ask you guys. If Glasgow is so good and he's such a great prospect, you would think he's as good, if not better, than Chris Archer. And maybe the Pirates are playing a win now, and and that sounds like that's what they're doing. Why wouldn't you just hold on to him and develop him? I mean, the Pirates maybe really believe that they could sneak into the playoffs and make some noise, which is my point. I'm getting to a point here. Why would you get rid of uh, that guy? At the end of the day, I'm guessing you feel, and the Rays feel, he's as good, if not better, than than Archer. Do you have your Chris Archer at a more cost-controlled situation? And then Austin Meadows, I mean, interesting prospect, no doubt. Guy could play the outfield, uh, you know, may have a little pop, and he hasn't shown it at the higher levels. But, okay, fine, guy that will be a solid hitting outfielder. Not a huge on-base guy, but you got him as well for a starting pitcher. I don't think that's a great, exciting return. And I think that's exactly what, you know, I guess you would say is why Zach Wheeler's still a member of the Mets. So if Chris Archer is the benchmark, can you blame the Mets for not trading any of their pitchers? Now maybe you could say, well, Degrom would have gotten you significantly more. Maybe. I didn't really hear. I mean, some of the the offers that the media was floating for Degrom were downright embarrassing. I mean, offers headlined by Brandon Drury. Really? And I know that's the media, but even a a deal of Miguel Anduhar and Justice Sheffield, which is a decent deal. Although I would say because you still don't know what Justice Sheffield is, and because Anduhar, I believe, would have he hasn't been around the league two times, and there's questions about his defense. He's a solid offensive player. I think that's more of a of a Matt's Wheeler trade, in my opinion. I mean, maybe more for Wheeler. I'm serious. I know you guys are thinking I'm going to be crazy, but more for Wheeler. So, you know, I guess I would say this. If the Mets are losers because they did not gift their pitchers to a contender, then I guess they're losers. Really, I think they're losers then. Because that's all I've heard the media say now for the better part of probably two months is that, you know, the Mets have to, you know, they have to trade their pitchers, uh, you know the Phillies and the Braves have passed them. Okay, they had to pass them in the standings. Uh, there's no chance of contending in the short term. I don't believe that. And I mean, I've even seen and I talked about this on WLIe Rich Cotino's show on on Sunday, as I was a guest co-host. The Padres are out there looking for a young, controllable pitcher or a young starting pitching, like an Archer, like a Syndergaard. And they're loaded with all these prospects. And you see, oh my, oh, the Mets need to jump. There's the farm system they need to jump in on. Well, based on the archer trade, you're not getting what you think you're getting. And why do you want to switch places with the Padres? The Padres who have all these prospects, which by the way, the Mets have on the lower level are starting to accumulate some prospects. Why would you trade to be the Padres, when you're probably going to be looking for that young, high upside, controllable pitcher in a couple of years? Answer that question for me. Maybe you want to join the fray, the number is 646-716-8187, if you want to join the fray. Why would you want to be... don't get it. I don't see... I don't see any kind of upside to that situation. You have, and that's my point, and that's what really gets me to the main thesis here is that I have a hard time, and maybe I'm antiquated, maybe that's what this is all about. I have a hard time believing that a rotation with it, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats, and Wheeler, four really good pitchers, and I know that some people may be holding their breath over Mats and the forearm strain yes they've had injuries in the case of Syndergaard I mean really freaky stuff stuff that you can't limit pitch counts or prevent which by the way did did anybody make fun of Jay Happ for getting the same hand mouth and foot disease or whatever it is that Syndergaard got Of, of course not of course not I didn't think so if you can build in 2019 or 2020 a competitive offensive team around those pitchers, then you're right. Then you know what? Mets are, are really bad at team building. I don't care if you have 52 GMs. You should be able to. A team that's averaging less than four runs a game that went 5-21 and 21 in June. a Historically bad offensive June. And the reason that they're well under 500 is because of that June. There are 500 team outside of that. And with the schedule they had in June, they had some rough patches with the Yankees. I know they went to Colorado, but there was there was some softness there. Uh, I, I still look at that as somewhat of an outlier. I see this as basically a 500 team that really went bad in June, was historically bad on the offense. I think maybe... Uh, Probably wasn't prepared. I mean, Batista wasn't really ready because he was still working himself into shape. Uh, Cespedes went down in May, and, and they and they didn't really recover. Um, some quirky things. A lot. I mean, a lot of one-run low. I think the Mets are like nine and nineteen in one-run games. Think about that. That's awful. Something like that. The margin of error, and, and I and I said this at, at around the eighty-one game mark that more than a majority of their games have been decided by two runs or less. That is such a small margin of error that I have a hard time believing that you can't go into the offseason and try to rebuild around that and work with this pitching staff and build a bullpen. You have to... Part of that is looking to see what you have. What do you have in Drew Smith? Maybe they bring up an Eric Hanhold. Who knows what Tyler Bachelor is all about? I mean, getting these young... Relievers into the game. You know, you have another year of Anthony Swarzak, who's looked much better since he's rounded himself into some health. You can build a bullpen. You know, the Rockies are a team that went out and spent all this money on a bullpen. All this money on a bullpen. And you know what? They're still out there looking for bullpen help at the deadline. You're never going to have enough bullpen. And that's where I have, where I actually think they've done a good job of bringing in some young arms because I think. When you get big contracts, and look, guys like Brian Shaw and Jake McGee, significantly below league average this year. Wade Davis hasn't been anything great. Oh, look at the – wow, they won the offseason. Look at all the the, the, – everyone's like, oh, what a historically great bullpen. Well, it stinks. It completely stinks. To the point where they're going out there, and they're trying to get themselves some help, and they had to go get – uh, Sung Wan O, oh, I should say his name correctly, to come on in and join the party. The starting pitching's been really good, especially a guy like Kyle Freeland is a guy that's underrated. But the bullpen, not so much. So you can rebuild this team. Now a year from now, would I feel a little bit differently? Maybe we'll see how things go. An offense that. All right, put Cespedes. Cespedes is on the shelf now. You, you can't rely on him in 2019. Has Conforto, who I have questions about, but has looked so much better since the second half started. Maybe you could finally, and that was a pretty serious surgery with the shoulder, see that if you could get Conforto rounded into some form. Nimo, who I think is a component player. He's probably not as good as he was playing in June, but He's not as bad as the guy you've seen at times that's been a strikeout machine. He's a guy that's going to walk, going to get on base, do some of those things. Those are two guys. Ken Davidoff mentioned, maybe going after A.J. Pollock. There's a possibility. I looked at guys, I mean Brian Dozier's a guy. I know that the Dodgers just acquired him. There's a guy for second base that I know he's thirty two. I don't know what he's gonna what LA's gonna do, but there's a guy maybe you could look at a little bit better defensively, gives you some pop. Who knows what Jeff McNeil that's the funny part. Jeff McNeil at twenty six is the kind of player that I mean Chase Utley was older when he came came up. You just don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying that these are guarantees. I think what you guys want is you want guarantees. You want the Mets to go out, sign Harper, sign Machado. It's not going to happen. And that doesn't mean – they do need an impact bat. And yes, it would be nice to say let's go out and sign Manny Machado. Even if the Mets gave the most money to Manny Machado, I don't know if he'd come here versus L.A. You're at a point with free agents – the West Coast is always going to beat the East Coast in a lot of ways. And the Yankees will supersede the Northeast and the weather and the nonsense. It's not the greatest place in the world to live for some of these guys because it's the Yankees, the pinstripes, there's sort of a brand there. But some people don't want to go there. The uh, – you know, look what happened with the Angels. Nobody thought for a minute that Shohei Otani would go anywhere but the Yankees. He didn't want to play in New York. It does happen. 646-716-8187. Kind of like got one of the fear I had with some cricket. That's what you get with a live call-in show. Do it midweek, work, guys going home, a lot of disgusted, you know, disgusted fans. Who knows who can... Who knows what you guys, you know, are up to? I saw that guy named Ray Caratini over in the comment section. One of the fans to hear, the, you know, me to hear the fire and brim- brimstone from the fans. Well, I'm not hearing anything from the fans, and that's okay, because I'll go on for an hour and give my opinions, and you could listen, and we'll take it from there. But there's an opportunity if you want to call in. So that I don't know if that's a like if you look at the Davidoff plan, I'll go out and get. I think Patrick Corbin. If you really want to look at who got two guys, you could go to Arizona and you could sign Patrick Corbin and AJ Pollock. I think those are two free agents that I'd that I'd target: a pitcher and a center fielder. I think defense, and it sounds like with the acquisition of Austin Jackson. That defense is gonna or Mickey Calloway takes defense more seriously. And I agree with that. Defense up the middle is important. Catcher, second base, center field, very important. Actually, I'm big on defense across the diamond. I think though that you know you can sacrifice a little of that in the right spot for offense. I think you want to get your offense out of your outfield, but center field you want to have a much more defensive minded center fielder. Be curious how they view Lagarus. Because Ligaris is essentially, I think, a better version than of Austin Jackson. They're very similar. I don't view him as an. I never viewed Ligaris as a starter. They gave him that contract hoping that he'd be starting center fielder, defensive component, and a good lineup. I don't know if he's that, but he was playing much better. I got to give Ligaris credit on that. He was playing much better before he got hurt. Look at his numbers. He was, uh, uh, he was, you know, hitting three thirty nine. Only sixty-four plate appearances, but you know he was starting to get on base. You know there was a lot there. You know he doesn't have any power, and I don't think he really ever will. But so to me, that's the way I would go. I would—you got to keep running it out with these starters for another year. Do you listen in the off-season and see what's there? Now the real million-dollar question, and I'm trying to figure out. And I know that individuals have been calling W O R and Pete McCarthy and Salicata were chatting a little bit about maybe who would be the Mets the next Mets GM and I, I really that's a tough call because I haven't studied all the quote unquote up and comers I know that some people are into this King, Kim Ang and I know that I've heard some around the game talk about how she would be a really great you know GM and a you know lot of experience work for the Yankees I sometimes wonder if it's those individuals who want to see the Mets be a pioneer in some progressive first female GM, you know, minority. I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in getting the right person in. I will say you see with the absence of Sandy Alderson how chaotic things could get in that void because J.P. Ricciardi is doing what he's always done. Rico, for the most part, is doing what he's always done, although he's got more – exposure with the media. And Omar, who's been a recent addition, is doing his thing with the Latin American scouting international. That's where he's comfortable. So nothing that was you know was working under Sandy Alderson has changed. So you don't have that point person. And Sandy was good, I think at pushing out a lot of the BS. Now you don't have that, so the BS just bubbles up. And he was good at managing the media. He put them in their place and they need that a little bit. And he hasn't felt well, and I think that's part of what you see as the drop off in some of the structure, an organization that was really running a lot smoother and cleaner since he came in. I think you've seen that with his absence, you know, and his fight against cancer. So to me, you know, it's basically it's like a team that is being run by the the coaches and the players. You need that one guy to go to and they don't have it. And Jeff Wilpon, I know he's the deciding vote you know Jeff has never really been good at standing in front of the media neither has Fred really for for that matter and they don't have to be you don't have to, you have to have that president so quote unquote of baseball operations that's what you need and I know that in this town sometimes you know the fans they want the owner to come out there and stand in front and give us hope and stuff you know right now there's not much they can say they're try- they're going to look for a GM they're going to figure this out. They're going to stay stand Pat. I mean, maybe they trade Mesoraco. Maybe they trade Batista. I personally got to tell you, if they're going to trade those guys, here's where I would criticize them. If they're going to trade those guys and get organizational filler, guys that have no shot at contributing in any way capacity, I say you just hold on to them. And you try to compete and win as many games as you can the rest of the year. What I don't want, and this is where it could get dangerous for Callaway. And I know some of you guys, I'm reading the comment section. I know some of you guys brought up Callaway. If it gets ugly, and, and last night in the 25-4, to 4, I'm, I'm not thrilled about how there was a lot of the joking, the laughing, you know, personally – Ryan Zimmerman should have hit some, some dust for what he did to Reyes. And they took that. And I, I'm not crazy about it, but I think Callaway's in a bad position now because things have got so wonky, so wacky, have spiraled so bad. I don't even know if you can you, – you really – it's hard for the manager to light that fire into 25 guys in a moment's notice. You need to have that team leader. That has to come from the players to a certain degree. But the tone does start from the top, and Callaway is a very even-handed, calm, practical, level-headed guy. He's not a fire and brimstone guy. Uh, I don't really think Terry Collins really was. I think it was fake what he did, but I know that he played the part better. Uh, and everyone loves him now because they, they have that little you know Chase Sutley, Noah Syndergaard from a couple of years ago clip that made its rounds for a little bit. So I think that could get dangerous for Callaway. I think that a team quitting on him would be the worst thing possible. The number is 646-716-8187. That's the number. Love to hear from you. Love to see what you guys have to say. Keep it clean. Let's debate. Let's not make any kind of silly comments. Let's try to be intelligent have some fun. Let's go to the phone lines. It looks like we have someone out in Suffolk County. 631-615, you're on the air with Mike Silva.
3: Hi Mike. Um, this is Jen from Ronconcoma. How are you? How you doing? Hi, hey, I'm calling 'cause um I'm listening to talk and um my concern is there seems to be like this ticking time bomb and his name's Jacob deGrom. You know what I mean? Like with the two years and like they have to get it together and I'm watching the games and the pitching is good and he's great and they lose anyway. So it's like just all these little ideas, let's do this, let's do that. And they've, this is two back-to-back years now of being terrible, and it's just depressing. And it doesn't seem like anyone has any get-up-and-go to really do something. And they talk the talk, and it sounds like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth because they don't have a new GM yet or whatever. And it's just like I don't see a real fire or winning attitude or care, except for maybe a couple players. And I always use DeGrom as the example because he's always been consistently good. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, it's
2: interesting because I have that concern. After, last night was the first time that I think, and I couldn't watch the whole game. It was a tough game to watch, a softball-type game. But first yeah, time you started the background. season, well, this is getting it's getting silly. It's getting silly. Um, when they were 11-1, and one, did you feel you saw the fire and the energy? I guess I'll ask you well, that because I thought I did.
3: I did. I mean, Todd Frazier liked the obvious thing, but when it was 11-1, and one, the pitching was just okay, I remember. That was the funny part, like the starting pitching. It was just okay, and then they started to get good, and everyone else went south. But I don't, I don't know if I did. I remember Mickey seemed, like I listened to post game. he seemed calm all the way through. Like, he never changed. I didn't notice much with the players, except for all that salt and pepper stuff.
2: That's true, and I guess that's the thing. When you hired Mickey Calloway, you got Terry Francona. I mean, you don't see Terry Francona day in and day out, but that's, I guess, his mentor, and I, that's worked well. It seems like you're more in the camp, and I've seen fans fall into this, where you like more of the colorful type of manager, the colorful type of on-field guys. I'm not sure you're going to get that much anymore. Players seem to be a little more sanitized, more business like. And I mean, what manager is really firing now? There's no Lou Pinellas. There's no. Right. It almost has to come from the players. You know what I'm saying? Like what happened last night to me? Yes, it's an indictment on Callaway, but I feel like if you're really ticked and you have a, a leader on that team, and Frazier's not there. Right. Um. I mean, that's. Got, I mean, I'm surprised Noah Syndergaard didn't clock a couple of guys. Maybe, maybe they're. Maybe they become numb. I guess that's what I would say. Maybe they become numb.
3: Well. Well, like, last night was weird because once Jose was pitching, you could see all the pitchers laughing in the dugout, but I think that's just because they're pitchers, you know, and they're like, oh, he's trying to pitch, you know. It's like I didn't care because by that time the game was done, you know. It was toast. But I, I don't expect Mickey to get all crazy. It's just, I, it's like not even him. Like, I, I listen to, like, uh, some of, like, the three GMs talk, and I'm like, I know it's just, like, seems like political speak, and I'm just like, there's just, this is so like flatline. Every no one. It doesn't seem. I mean, they probably do underneath, but it doesn't seem like they care. I mean, they care about winning or trying to. I don't know. That's just what it feels like to me.
2: Well, that's very fair, Jennifer. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. And I think that that's uh, something the fans feel. This is about as disgusted I've seen the fan base since. I don't think they were this, this. They were annoyed in 2009 and they wanted to move Omar out. And then 2010 and Sandy came in and they were angry about the payroll for a couple of years. But I think this is the most annoyed I've seen them since maybe the Zambrano trade. Is that fair? And I understand it because I think the expectations were there. I think the 11 0 1 start teased them a little bit. And they, it's almost like you, you suck them in early at a, at a high level. And it was just it went south so bad. And 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 that's the interesting part. I don't see a lot of optimism with the fans and I don't know if there's anything that these GMs, this team, this manager can do right now other than hold on. It's like, you know, the waves are coming, the season you just gotta swallow this the season and then at the end, it has to be a state of the union. The owners are going to have to be in that state of the union at some point. I think at the end of the year, there's something and something significant has to be said to give an idea to the fans what the direction is. I don't think you're going to get anything. Maybe you'll get it sooner. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, 312 area code 533. You're on with Mike Silva. How are you? What's your name and where are you from?
4: Hey, Mike. Uh, my name's Richard. I'm from Chicago, but actually I'm from New Jersey. I'm in Chicago at the moment.
2: All right.
4: What's going my, on, Richard? My, my, my question is, you know, Callaway to me, there's nothing there. It's not inspiring
1: the Mets. I've, I've
4: been a Mets fan since 1962, since I was nine years old. So I've seen it all. I've seen the good managers, the bad managers, the good players, the bad players, the good years, the bad years. This is the worst I've ever seen. So my question to you really is, do you think a guy, and, and I do, but I want, I want to know if you do, Guy like Wally Backman comes in, can he do anything with this team? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. That somebody like Wally would come in.
2: Here's what I know, Richard, and a couple of. Them, let me ask you a question first. I'll answer that because I have some thoughts on that. Okay. One, all right. So you watching the Mets a little longer than I have. Bad seasons. Ninety three was probably as. I mean, I don't think this is at ninety two ninety three level with the bleach, and I know that recently there was an article in Newsday about it. I'm not sure it's at this level of bad uh, like that, like the 93 No,
4: because because, right, because that level of bad has to do with, again, excuse, excuse what I'm going to say right now, evil people. When I mean evil people, I'm, you know, I'm on the phone Sure. I'm trying not to take up all your time.
3: No, I, I, I
2: understand
4: what there. you're saying. But they're assholes. And I can't excuse my language. But you got Bobby Bikini yeah. and Vince Coleman. And guys like that. You yep. don't have that here. So we're not at right. that level. We're more at a, a dead, you know, nothing happening level. Where right. I think this, is, this is, they
2: need to be woken up. You know the one thing that may wake them up, and I don't know if they'll do it, I think the only thing you can do to really wake up the roster, and I think it's bringing up you need one of these rookies, McNeil, maybe Alonzo, to come up. You need a young player to come up and perform, even if it's a small sample size, to jolt them a little bit. And I'm not sure that is going to come up. I don't know what McNeil is yet. Um, I think it's going to be hard the rest of the year. I would like to see them compete. That's why if they're not going to get anything from Miserocco or Batista, I just don't want to get rid of them for the sake of it, for money or for filler. Right. Because uh, I think winning is important. You know, it doesn't matter if there's no short thing in the draft. Mets got a pretty good pick at number six this year Jared Kelnick. So I don't think it's not like the NBA we get the number pick. But back to your original question. So here's my thing: When the Mets first uh, hired Sandy Alderson, I wanted Wally Backman badly to be the manager. I thought as a guy oh, that good for you. grew up, yeah, grew up, and I've I've spoken to Wally, I've met Wally, I've talked to Wally personally on the phone a couple times. Been a while. Um, so I know how he thinks, and people have always accused me of being a Wally uh, apologizer. I know he's had some issues. I think some of the issues were overblown about him lying or, or deceiving, and I understand he's had some right. personal issues. But you know what? Uh, look into Tony La Russa, Bobby Cox, and some of the other all-time managers into their background, or even go right. back to guys like Billy Martin. Not Listen, a lot of things about them that you wouldn't like. Um Absolutely. I, I, From I, what real I real
4: understand, real, just, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, on Wally with the domestic abuse, he didn't put his hands on his wife, he wasn't arguing with his wife, he was arguing with a neighbor. And he right. threw the neighbor out of the house. He never right. put his hand, so all day, every time they bring up domestic abuse, so he gets me angry because it wasn't that at all. Wally's you know, I just got done watching playing for Peanuts like for the 100th time, and I see the enthusiasm he brought to that club and how those players cared for this guy and how they went out there and they busted their backs every single day for him and loved him. And I look at Callaway; I call him the mouse because that's what he is, he's
2: Mickey Mouse. There's just nothing there. He's a way different personality. Yeah, you're right, a way different. Yeah, now, Wally, to me, see... See, what I liked is while he grew up in the Mets organization, he was an underdog, he, and everyone says, well, you like him because he was on the 86 Mets. That has nothing to do with it. I know he can manage both no, Uh You know, you you pointed out that players seem to, he seems to p- get the most out of them. Uh, I felt that at that time when they were rebuilding, he would be a guy that could be there when they were bad and then be that, you know, I wanted him to be that Davey Johnson or that guy that's there seven, eight, nine years. Ron Gardenhire, another guy that, was with the organization. I really believe, from what I understand and know, and it's pretty good information, but again, I'm not in there day in and day out. I think Jeff Wilpon would not have minded Wally to be the manager. And I've heard that there were many times over the last couple of years where Terry Collins was on the precipice of being fired, and they were thinking about bringing Wally in. Now Sandy Alderson, not so too. much. Yeah, not so much on Sandy Alderson, that, and and I know he and Sandy clashed and i do think there's a component to the organization that worries that Wally who enjoys his adult beverages might not be able to handle that i've also heard negative i heard somebody who played for Wally a veteran that was on doing some minor league time and and he felt that he was crass uh you know maybe not maybe a little overrated not as good now that's a different type of player going down to the minor leagues playing for him um, had a different agenda. Uh you know, I'd like to see right. if that same player would have enjoyed working for him in a different type of environment. Not an environment right. where they were working themselves back. So, so I'm all for it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think now the oh, organization
4: I guess that's why I'm, I'm asking because I heard the same thing you you have that that Jeff Wollborn was okay with it and that it was Sandy all of a sudden against it. And now that Sandy's gone, that's why I was, I, I, I was hoping that there was a chance.
2: Because everybody no, knows I think, calling the shots. Yeah, I mean, if he's, I mean, if Jeff has his way, maybe. Um, I don't know politically if they could do it now. Callaway's got a contract. It sounds like for more reports, Callaway's going to back. And Richard, thank you so much for the call. Um, look, if you told me Mickey Calloway's going to get fired tomorrow, Wally Backman would be the guy. I've always thought, let's give Wally a shot and bring him in, and that's the fire and brimstone. I can tell you this, I don't know how Wally would have taken what happened last night with Ryan Zimmerman and all that stuff. Um, the number is 646-716-8187. Hope you have a chance to join me. I'm going to stay on until about 930. Um, got a couple of interesting calls. Maybe not the, the volume of calls we're used to, but a couple of really good calls Some good points. Want to hear from you, 646 716 8187. Uh back to Wally. So he's doing the uh the independent baseball thing again. Uh, you know, I don't think the one thing I think that is always going to be a fear from front offices is and I and I disagree with this. I believe that the manager should control the lineup. Obviously, you hire a manager that aligns with your thought process. But I do not believe the front office. Once that, you know, It's like the old money ball with Art Howe and Billy Bean. You know, if you have a manager like that that's not on the same page as you, then you've got to get a new manager, and that's what Billy Bean did. But if you hire the right manager and you trust them to develop and, and, and get the most out of your team and your players, let him have the lineup. Let him manage the bullpen. Give him and feed him the data, but let him do that. Read Davey Johnson's book if you haven't. One of Davey's biggest pet peeves, and the Mets are kind of doing it again, is that they had too many cooks in the kitchen on the Frank Cash, and he felt that that's where decisions got made bad. Uh, His autonomy was undercut, and if they had listened to him. Now, a lot of the stuff he says in his book is second guesses 30 years later, which is easy to do, but I'm going to trust that he's being honest and he felt that way back in real time. I don't know if that's – I think that's what will hold Wally Backman back. Corny, corny wave. So I think what would hold him back is that he, you're going to look at him as being someone who would not cooperate, is hard-headed, even though he'll tell you the opposite. But that guy knows how to manage a bullpen. That guy will bring a fire and a passion like no other. Um, listen, Bobby Valentine is one of my favorite Mets managers. I don't think he can manage today with the way that the modern player is, the way the media is. Could you imagine Bobby Valentine back in the heyday with Twitter and everything? I mean, at that time, it was a fire and brimstone. The media hated him, and a lot of times it goes back to my initial thing in the open, the agenda by the media, who wants to call winners and losers here, and the old agenda is like gift – you wanted them to gift the pitchers to the contenders because that's what they want. They would have – they hated Bobby Valentine. They would have used social media in every instance to go out there and, and find a reason to put him in a bad light just to get him fired because he wasn't giving them access or wasn't, wasn't, wasn't playing ball with them. Let's go back to the phone lines. 904-891, uh, you're on the air, Mike Silva. Who? What's your name and where are you from?
5: Hello, do you hear me, Mike?
2: Yep, I got gotcha. you.
5: Hi, this is Andrew down in Jacksonville. Hey, uh, Mike, yes. I got to be honest with you, brother. I don't have any confidences in this team at all. I mean, aside from the baseball, let's just look at how they do things, all right? Here you have a team when Alderson was in control. Okay, where he fires Terry Collins and then someone else gives him a position within the organization. Okay? While he's general manager of the Mets, Jeff Wilpong goes and brings in Omar Manaya back into the fold. These things I've never seen these things happen. I can't believe I, that uh, called the
2: Alex is the Knicks did it with Isaiah. Oh
5: well, let's not even let's not even start that conversation, my friend,
2: because we'll be here the rest of the night.
5: But I, I, I mean, and, and look at the team. They bring up these kids, okay? And you mean to tell me nobody taught them to bunt? Nobody tell nobody
2: been, them to play Ben, uh, I, I gotta tell you, man, I agree with you. It was it's one. I'll forget about the players. The fact that none of these pitchers could bunt, other than I guess the Grom is pretty decent at it, but he used to be a position player. Harvey was right. borderline pathetic. I mean, this is going on for right. years. The pitcher's not knowing how to bond. It's been But bad. what I does agree. that
5: tell you? What does that t- that's the organizational problem? No, you're right. Th- that that
2: but that's, that, that's, that's, that's why the thing they're thing they're overall
5: because exactly. We could talk about trades all we want. We could talk about managers all we want, but this is an organizational problem. We don't have a baseball culture in them with the Mets. Okay? And what does that tell you? What organization have you ever seen where we had a three-headed GM? Well,
2: the Mets have and I mean, the Orioles had two and Mike Flanagan and Jim Duquette. Uh, at one point, the Mets did this. Fred Wilpon likes this this situation. And if you read David Johnson's book, I mentioned it before, you had Joe McElvain. you had Al Harrison working for Frank Cashin. And, okay, they were GMs or assistant GMs or whatever. assistants. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. You know – but Yeah, I mean, right now it's called Perkins. Look, if they if they make this the norm, then what's odd about it is you need to have that guy who's the clearinghouse. Nobody, this is the same setup that they had under the Alderson, except Alderson was the guy that kind of funneled the information up to ownership. They don't have that now, and there seems to be some confusion because, like you saw – and I thought it was a little overblown because you had to trade with Familia on Saturday at Yankee Stadium – and nobody was there to talk about it till Sunday, and the media made a big deal about it. Not how I would have handled it. See, if I was right. running the show, I'd be much more in the face of the media and putting them in their place. I know that's not their style, and Ricco's done a little of that. Um, but you almost have to go to ownership and say, well, well who's going to talk here? Because Ricco's not the GM. I think Rico's the best choice in front of the press. But you're right. I mean, now, if they don't hire a president or a general manager in the off season. Then I think you have more of a gripe. I don't think you just want to hire somebody right now. I mean, is it that you'd rather have an interim GM, like Rico could be the interim GM? No, no, really no. No, is, no. Yes. no, no. What I want is that we have a GM.
5: This is our GM. This is, uh, for the sake of conversation, this is Jerry Hunsaker. He's our GM. That's it. Or we could say, you know what, Rico, we're going to give the reins to you until the end of the, until the end of the season, and that'll be it. But it's always this clown stuff that goes on with this organization. I mean, in my opinion, and uh, this is just my opinion, I would never put Jose Reyes to, to pitch. That, to me, this is
1: just my opinion. To me, that's
5: an insult yeah, right. to a pitcher because I would rather well, go this... and put one of the young guys who are trying to make their way in the big leagues – and let them go out there. Uh, let's say it was Corey Oswald. Let him pitch five innings. If he gets shelled, he gets shelled, but he has, you know, he, he could put another notch on his belt. But you don't put Jose Reyes in there. That's another thing. What's, what's, what's the, the, the obsession with Jose Reyes? That guy should have been gone by now. We could easily replace no. that guy with Jeff McNeil, but I have to watch Jose Reyes day in and day, day out. Replace him it's like with the Luis obsession Terry Collins had with uh, the shortstop, Ruben Tejada. Ruben Tejada is nobody, but because Terry Collins loves Ruben Tejada, he has to play day in and day out. Another thing this crazy organization does, okay? why do you take a kid who's played first base all his life, who apparently made his career all his life at first first base, why would you take him to the minor leagues and put him in left field? This gives me the, well, the only thing I, I would say about that is watching Hojo play shortstop be the worst and watching Hundley play
2: left field. Right. Well, that yeah, I understand, and that was it's because it's insane. Well, listen, it always
5: happens with the Mets.
2: I'm sorry if I sound fielder, angry, but it, it, gets, no, it gets to right, be insane. Like, well, so then let me ask. Let's let's round this up here. So, let's put you in charge here. What do you want to see? Going forward, what do you want to see from now into the, this, you know, I guess the early off season? What do you want to see? Do you see? Do you don't see a pathway with the new GM to take the four starting pitchers, an offense that's been really bad. That even if it was league average, you'd be pretty much 500, and, and actually be around where the Pittsburgh Pirates are. Think about that. If the Mets had it's scored at the same rate that they did last year, which was decent, no great shakes they probably be in a wild card race right now. Last year's offense with this year's pitching would be in the wild card. That's statistically a fact. That's what run differential. That's not just anecdotal. So what would you like to see? Me,
5: I would have done everything possible to get all of these old men off the team. I don't want to see Bruce there anymore. I don't want to see Frazier there anymore and look what happened we signed these old guys my opinion personally you a player has a 10 year window from 20, the age of 20 to the age of 30 after the age of 30 and you could see this happen again and again and again they start breaking down but what do we do we go and we sign these guys. Why? Because we're always looking over the fence at the Yankees. What are the Yankees doing? Oh, oh we have to sign this guy. Oh, oh, if not, we're going to look bad in, in, in the papers. And who is always concerned about how we look in the papers? Mr. Wilpon, isn't right. it? Uh-huh. So we keep making the same mistakes like re-signing, re-signing Cespedes, which in my personal opinion, we should have never done. Because now, you would instead have taken, of being What would the, you
2: have done at that time? Well, I would have I would have
5: stood pat. I would have stood pat. You know why? Because instead of seeing Cespedes, basically his career is done. Instead of seeing Frazier, in and out of rehab, uh, you know, you know, you know what I mean. And Jay Bruce now with more physical problems, we would have been talking about Machado. We would have been at least talking about signing a guy like Machado.
2: I know. I just don't know. Like I'm gonna tell you right now, Machado is gonna fall in love with LA. That's my my prediction. That's not a problem, and I think the one thing but I that, want to at least I think, be in the I running. Think, sure. Look, not being in the running, but I think – and I'll leave it with this. I think the one thing – and thank you so much, for Cole, Like That's a lot of passion, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, a few more minutes here, about another 15 minutes, 646-716-8187. I said this to you guys earlier, and I'm going to say this, and you see it a lot in the NBA. And maybe baseball is different, and certain players have uh, an affinity to maybe the, the Northeast if they're from there. The West Coast teams like the Dodgers and and if you can get you know the weather in San Diego, it's it's a better environment. What goes on in San Francisco, these are better places to live if you have money, like these guys will. The weather is better, the people are nicer, it's more laid back. This is a rat race here. This is a tough place to play. And being on the Mets makes it even tougher. You have the media. You have the media looking to make you the smack around step brother. The Mets play into that. You have a lot of baggage. You know, the Mets are getting into New York Rangers nineteen not nineteen forty territory. That's where the Knicks are entering, but they're starting to become like that. Thirty years looking at the team, the Yankees. This is a tough place to play. I think. Second-guessing cesspitus, I can't say that. I doubt that that was a bat, and the contract being four years. I mean, it's not a killer contract. Yeah, you got two more years at $30 million. I know that there's been reports they don't want to reinvest. Look, if they're not going to reinvest the insurance money on Wright, and assuming Wright doesn't retire, and cesspitus, then, yeah, they're going to have problems. Because you look, that payroll next year, without arbitration, they're on the hook for about $92 million. That's with cesspitus and Wright's contracts. The year after that, $58 million. That's with Cespedes and Rights contracts. Now they have arbitration. They have Conforto and Matz and Lugo and Gazelman and, and Brandon Nimmo will probably uh, – yes, he'll be uh, arbitration eligible in the next couple of years. And, of course, you have the free agency of, of uh, Wheeler, and the Grom is going to get more and more in arbitration in Syndergaard. So there's going to be more added to that, but I don't see – again, the reason I see a pathway to success here – I don't see a ton of expenditures outside of the cesspitus and right that are obtuse. Those are going to be covered. Now, there's some questions about cesspitus because of the pre-existing condition, but those are going to be covered by insurance probably. Jay Bruce doesn't have a terrible contract, and I think he'll bounce back. Frazier's got one year left at $9 million. Ligarch, you probably could trade if you really want to get rid of him at $9 million. Vargas, all right, he's got the two million in the buyout, but he's got eight million. Swarzak, if he pitches well, you'll be able to deal him. Listen, if he has a good rest of the season, you'll probably be able to deal him if you really want to. I think you bring him back at the bullpen at eight million. That's not a bad deal, and you're going to need some bullpen arms. You don't have a lot. Your costs are going to be Degrom. Um, you know Flores is arbitration eligible. Darno, which I'd bring back. I know he's got Tommy John. Syndergaard. I mean, you guys are worried about payroll. I get it. But you got to look at what's out there. Do you realize by 2021 and 3, the Mets don't have a single long term contract on their roster at that point? They're poised to start spending. Will they? That's a great question. And ownership has always been conservative. And does Cesperis and Wright and the history with those long term contracts? Give them pause. Look, if I'm the Mets, you have, listen, You go after uh, – Harper doesn't – Harper concerns me more. Let's play fantasy here. And, again, join me if you want in the last 10 minutes, 646 Okay, you want to go after big. You don't want to do my A.J. Pollock, Patrick Corbin, you know, kind of go with a component-type moves. Hope that Alonzo could be an impact power bat next year. Conforto you know, shows you more of what's been recent. Nimmo continues to develop. Uh, Frazier, who's never been uh, hurt, you know, could give you at least one more year. I don't think Frazier, that's asking a lot. I know shortstop's a bit of a concern with Rosario. You go out, maybe get a Dozier or you know make McNeil a backup. I don't know if I'd make McNeil my everyday second baseman. You get yourself a second baseman, and you go to battle with the pitchers. You see what you could do to round out the bullpen. I mean, that's not a team that's bad. Not a trash team. You got to make sure that you'll start to have some of the young pitchers, the Duns of the world, add some depth in the minor leagues. Corey World. Hopefully, you'll get a you know those guys. You know, can they be better? You know, six, seven, eight, nine in depth than what you had this year? We'll say. But the thing is this: so you want to play fantasy and go after Harper or Machado? It's not inconceivable because if you're giving them a long-term deal of five, six, seven years, you have nobody on the books after. Next year, nobody go to COTs contracts. This is not me making it up. In 2020, you have Cespedes, you have right at 12 million, which he'll he'll never he'll never see that 12 million because he's never going to get back on a field. You have Bruce at 14 million. That is it. Now Cespedes by that time should be healthy enough to play. Um, You know, let's see what that is. I mean, you have nothing. Now you have at that point Syndergaard arbitration. And you have the Grom arbitration. Now, by that time, maybe he signs a contract. And you know, Matt's I mean, who knows what you do with Wheeler and what have you. I'd be careful about giving Wheeler a long term deal. I still worry about the health, but you know, at some point you gotta make a decision on the play. You can't be you know, just because you got burnt by the stove doesn't mean you stop cooking altogether and never go into the kitchen. Right? That's the way I look at it. So it's it, you can make the play for Harper and Machado. I don't know. If you play for the Dodgers and the Dodgers play well, make the playoffs and win, why would he not re-sign with LA? Why would you go to New York over, over over California? Now you and I and guys like you know that listen to the show, maybe you're from Long Island or you're from the city or you're from the East Coast. It's hard. You and I go out to LA. I was out in LA last year. It's a different world. When I've gone out and met people in corporate cultures, out in the west coast I'm like in a different I'm on a different planet but these guys they look at it there's Hollywood there's good weather there's beautiful homes there's the beach it's a lot different it's it's better than snow in central park in march and traffic in the lincoln tunnel and sure you have Connecticut and Long Island and and, and all sorts of Jersey suburb beautiful homes you could have but that might not be – that's still not L.A. That's not the coast. So even if you make the, the play for the most part – and by the way, Manny Machado has knee issues. So if you think that that's not a risk, I got a bridge to sell you. And Harper, there's something off with that guy. I've always felt a, a, if, if, you, if you have a good lefty, if you want to be – in a short series, you got to have at least two lefties. I would never have Harper a right handed pitcher pitch to Harper in a big spot. Listen to the elite, elite, elite pitcher, because I think lefties could get him out. And at a high level. So I don't know how I feel about giving him a big contract. Now he's hit pretty well against lefties. This year actually he's hit better against lefties than righties. But I wouldn't trust them. Now maybe shifts get outlawed a little bit i'm sure scott boris is positioning for that because the shifts have gone to the point where there's so many of them so i mean i don't know if that's the guy i think machado's a guy again there's risks with all these long-term contracts to me i think you go and you try to i think Alonzo's is going to play a big role in this 30 home run guy uh i know you can't rely on with but conforto and numo maybe pollock in center patrick corbin as a is another pitcher you go to fill out the bullpen with some veterans. You have to see what you – the rest of the year you see what you have with these young arms like Drew Smith and so on. Frazier will be back. I mean maybe you make a play for Machado. I just don't – even if they do, I just don't see him coming here. And I think hold your breath because he had – Jim Bowden told, said something about a year and a half ago. I'll leave you with this, this, guys. About a year and a half ago about how there is some concern in the industry that he's had those knee surgeries. And how will those knees look? Are you going to give him a 10-year deal? even if you move them to third base in the middle of the contract? It's a long time. Long time. And then that money will be bad money in the back end of that contract, especially if those knees go. There's always going to be risks. See, for me, I'd always give pitchers three years, hitters five years, but I wouldn't sign anybody but Jay Bruce and those kind of hitters. You're not going to get elite players like that, so... Hey, not a volume of calls, but hopefully you enjoyed listening. I think the calls we had were outstanding for a weeknight. We'll do this again. I don't mind having one call, two calls, three calls. It's about the quality of the calls. I had a chance to riff for an hour. As always, I appreciate what you guys uh, do when listening. The numbers are outstanding. I mean, the growth of this show over three years. I'm doing more downloads and listens now than I ever did when I did both New York baseball teams, when I had the NYBD podcast the support. Even when you guys criticize, I enjoy the interaction. I'm trying to develop and grow the show. I'm trying to do a little bit more of me and opinion because I think that's what you guys like. I'm not going to shy away from the guests, but I don't want to just have a guest for the sake of it because you can get that anywhere. So continue to listen to me. Continue to go to Mike Silva Media. Continue checking me out at MetsamorizedOnline.com, and I definitely want to uh, to do more of this. We're out of time, but again, thank you, hey, to the Mets course. fans. I'm gonna hit the wrong thing there. You can't, you can't make it up here. See, look, even me with uh, you know, my outro there, I'm performing just as well as the Mets have the last couple of days. Hey, I want to thank all the good folks over at MetsMorrisOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. You can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever pod t- podcasting service you desire. Check me also out our buddies, The Grueling Truth, part of the iHeartMedia Media Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for taking part in this. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you soon. Take care.